Good evening, everybody. This is your host, Huge Pop, for the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast tonight on Huge Pop Gets Knocked Out by uh, Knockout Entertainment. Nicholas Vic, thank you for joining us. And our special guest tonight, he is a third-degree black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a seventh-degree black belt in Taekwondo, sixth-degree black belt in Aikijitsu. Type that wrong. Second-degree black belt in American jiu-jitsu, 3-0 pro MMA record. He's the co-host on the Florida Combat Network FM radio, co-host on the World Class Combat Network AM radio, president of the World Class Fight League, president of the Florida Mixed Martial Arts Hall of Fame, owner of his own gym, World Class Martial Arts, the American Tag, the American Top Team, Tampa Bay. Welcome to the show, Rafael Garcia. How you doing, my friend? Man, you gave me an interest like I was Apollo Creed. <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> You, get, you deserve it, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, coming aboard the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. Nick, thank you for uh, being there and part of this podcast. Uh, I love to support uh, Knockout Entertainment. I know Nick supports the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast, so I appreciate you guys coming on. It's been, a, thank you. It's, it's been yeah, amazing. Thank you guys so, for having me. Yes, absolutely. So I just found this out. I probably should have known this, but about our guest, uh, he <laughs> loves wrestling just like everybody else does. But he's an MMA, so we're going to talk about wrestling. So when you were a kid, what got you started or interested in, oh, my God, this is a cool thing? What what did you watch? Uh, Everything, man. My dad is the one that got me on it. My dad was a – he was a lot older than me. They had me in their 40s. My dad was 85. So he, he watched a lot of, like, um, Carlito Colon from Puerto Rico. He watched uh, Dick the Bruiser. Uh, trying to think of a lot of those old school guys. So when I started watching wrestling was like early 80s. I started, the one that really stuck out to me, I watched WWF, I watched NWA, I knew all the territories, but what stuck out to me was world-class championship wrestling with the Von Erics. Yeah. That, to that movie. Yeah, that's that was good times. You know, I talk about, talked to a lot of uh, indie wrestlers, legend indie wrestlers, and they talk about the territory days and how cool that was and where that lacks in today's um, wrestling business. So, Yeah, uh, but yeah. we didn't realize how big the Von Erich's territory was until you go back on Peacock and you watch like documentary on there on a WB network. And then uh, Dark Side of the Ring did some stuff on the Von Erich's too. But just to see how they sold out like uh, the Dallas Arena or football stadium yeah. uh, back in the 80s, they were doing that stuff. Yeah, that's impressive, man. So. You're in MMA and you're also in martial uh, taekwondo and all that stuff. Did you ever, ever, ever once think, man, I'm going to be a professional wrestler instead of doing what, or instead of taking the streets you did? I think I would have went that route. I wanted to. I, I've always loved to this day. I still, I still love wrestling. Uh, of course, I love martial arts more, but uh, there's still a passion of mine. I think if I would have been a little bit bigger, uh, I probably would have pursued that. But being that I was only five foot eight, you know, 165 pounds soaking wet back then, uh, I, I said there's no small wrestlers until like Eddie Guerrero and Benoit, those guys kind of broke broke the mold, and, and of course Rey Mysterio. Absolutely, and then you said before the show that you um, rubbed elbows with some of the wrestling stars back in the day, and you're still friends with them. So, what can you let us know what friends you have or what? So uh, Brian Blair, uh, you guys know him from Legends Lunch. Uh, I used to watch Brian Blair. I even watched Brian and Rose My Horizon, the Killer Bees wrestled, I think, the British Bulldogs or the Heart Foundation. Yeah. And every time we go to dinner with him and his wife, Tony, uh, or or to uh, Sidesplitters Comedy Club or something, I always like give him a little rib. I'm like, man, 
I used to watch you as a kid, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You make me feel old there. <laughs> yeah. So Brian's real big. And then uh, it's funny, uh, for a while, uh, Harry Smith trained with me. He got his purple ball in jiu-jitsu under me, uh, the British Bulldog son. And uh, I used to always mess with him, too, uh, about his dad, uh, uh, me watching his dad and Dynamite. They were my favorite tag team at the time. And, uh, and the Hart Foundation, they were my second favorite, which was his uncles, of course. And uh, just funny how everything ties in and kind of like falls together later on. That was like 80s, early 90s. And then, you know, the last few years he was coming up training with me and stuff. Uh, just crazy how everything works out. And then uh, Crush, I became friends with Crush a couple of years before he passed. He was living here in Tampa. Uh, I met him at Crush, Crunch Fitness, which or it was Lifestyles. Lifestyles, now it's Crunch Fitness. Uh, one of the trainers there knew me and he knew I did MMA. And he said, uh, hey, I have a pro wrestler here who's a big fan of MMA and wanted to meet you. I said, all right, cool. So I go over there. And of course I saw him as Brian Adams crush. And I go, Oh shit. So, but I, I played it off like, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen you on TV and stuff like that, but I knew who he was uh, yeah. six foot eight, uh, 300 pounds. And then uh, Eddie Guerrero, when he lived here locally, uh, Eddie was really cool. I met Eddie when he was still in WCW. It was him and Pat Tanaka. Uh, me, I, me and my ex fiance, we used to have a, uh, the movie theater right here on Van Dyke called Regal 20. And we went down there to uh, to watch the Phantom Menace uh, Star Wars movie. It just came out. I think it was like 98 maybe. Huh? And uh, we were in this long line because it, it was first come, first, first serve on the seating. And this line was going way back. And I noticed Eddie walking up with his probably nephew and, uh, and Pat Tanaka. And he went to the front and they go, uh, hey, you know, we got tickets. He goes, sir, this is the line. You have to go all the way to the very back. And he's like, oh, man. So he's walking by. And I said, hey, Eddie. And he was looked at me and go, you're always late, man. I've been saving your spot. So he came in, stood with us. And he goes, bro, that was cool. So from that point on, every time I ran into Eddie at Citrus Park Mall, one time he introduced his daughter to me. He always came up to me and said hi and had a conversation. He was real cool people. Nice, nice. Do you watch the stuff today? Yeah, I watch what I do a lot. I DVR stuff. And then I'll fast forward through it because I hate all the talking and stuff unless it's a good storyline but uh i still watch a lot of this stuff awesome 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 so you made a you made a statement that it's funny how things just intertwine and um, i'll be honest uh, with you, you. you're kind of like breaking up a little bit i couldn't hear you. i said um it's funny how you said it intertwining stuff you know and i uh ever since i've met with nick and um knockout entertainment some of the promotions i deal with down in south florida they already know who nick and from uh, knockout entertainment is so it's pretty cool I hope that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, you're still coming in real fuzzy. It's like breaking up. I don't know why. Huh? Yeah. But that, that's Nick's frozen on my end. So I don't know. But anyways, can you hear me better now? Yeah, it's still bad. I can't understand you. How about now? No, still. It might be on your. It might be on your it's side. Like your mic, it's like a mic feedback or something. I don't know because I can hear you guys perfectly fine. I don't have no. I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting how intertwined um, Knockout Entertainment is connected to a bunch of promotions down in Florida. So I get to when I talk to like um, I think it was uh, SCW or um, like uh, FIP, you know those guys down there. They all know Nick, so I'm like, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of people know Nick in this area or Florida. I mean, uh, it's funny because a lot of people know my old co-host uh, when I used to do the World Class Combat Network. We were an AM station. Was Howard Word? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so me right. and Howard were because he used to be the pro wrestlers on 
and I would bring the MMA guys and the boxing guys. So we had like Eric Bischoff on one time. His son Garrett was there in the studio with us. Uh, before he re-signed, we had uh, McIntyre, uh, Drew yeah. McIntyre. He came in and he just signed, but he couldn't tell us. So he said, oh, you know, I'm just working the indies now. And then like the next day he's on Raw. I was like, man, that's messed up. And then, uh, then uh, we had Vinny Paz, the boxer. We had Roy Jones on. Uh, man, we've had a, we had a lot of people there. We did that for about a year. So what's the secret to getting those big guys on there? Knowing people, man, and having the right connections. Uh, Word had all the wrestling connections, and I had all the MMA connections and stuff. Because we even when I did the Florida Combat Network back in the day, we had Dana White on before. So it's all knowing, you know, how to get people's numbers, how to contact people and stuff like that. So uh, most noticed, MMA and boxing is through me. I noticed a lot of that, and not only in the wrestling, but in the MMA scene, it's a lot of just networking. Um, who do you know? And that's how we get a lot of connections to a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not just knowing who you know, it's doing favors for each other. Like exactly. me and Tarver became friends. Uh, he came out to my event, him and his son, uh, last October. And then after that, like he asked me, he was hitting me up asking me because he was doing events for ideas and venues and stuff. So we communicate here and there. Usually when I call him, he picks up my call. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. we've had. Uh, I mean, we. I can't say we haven't had any big names. We had Ken Anderson on and um, Chris Harris, and uh, we've had all those guys and Matt Stone, uh, Mr. Stone from down. Was down uh, Ken, Ken Anderson, Mr. Kennedy? Yes. Yes. Actually, we had a yeah. we had a we had a Kennedy off. It was pretty funny. It was a good. Uh, oh, that's cool. Good, good time. <laughs> Let's get back into you, man. Uh, training and preparation. How did you first get started in MMA, and what drew you to that? Well, I started martial arts at nine, and uh, we used to always have that thing: which style is the best? And I, I did karate, kempo karate, and uh, taekwondo, and then a little bit of like uh, jitsu at the beginning. And then, uh, so we thought, you know, what we did was the best. Whatever everybody thought their style was the best. Then UFC came around in the nineties, and I remember I made my parents buy that pay per view. I think I was fifteen, sixteen at the time. And I remember seeing Hoist Gracie go out there and like beat everybody. And I was just like, how is this guy beating everybody? And no one ever seen Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I was like, what is this? And he just beat everybody. So I remember buying the first three, maybe four pay-per-views for like 15, 16 bucks, or maybe even 20, whatever it was. And uh, watching this guy just smash everybody. And, and of course, Ken Shamrock too, which is pretty cool when I had Ken at my school and he sang happy birthday to me back in May. Because uh, I've been watching him since the early 90s, his MMA career, uh, when he had the Lions Den and all that. And then when he went to WWE in the late 90s, too, he had a great career there, too. Yeah. So you now you teach it as well, correct? I, I do what? You you run a school. You, run, you train people, correct? Yeah, I've had my gym for 25 years here in Tampa. Okay, so this question could be for a student of yours or even you. Can you describe a typical day of your, in your training camp? All right, if I was training for a fight, my last fight was 2009. Uh, basically, we did two-a-day trainings. We had a uh, six- to eight-week uh, camp, and you come in every day except for Saturday unless you had some sparring plan. You want at least one rest day. We used to do our strength and conditioning stuff on Sundays where we went to Lato High School and ran the bleachers, pushed cars, and did all kinds of strength and conditioning stuff in that hot sun. But Monday through Thursday or Monday to Friday, we'd be come in, train in the morning, uh, you either get your grappling or get grappling and striking in and then come back, you rehydrate, eat, come back in the evening, uh, maybe get a little cardio in and then do your, your other disciplines, which would be either straight MMA or more kickboxing or more jujitsu, uh, just mixing it up. That would be our two a days, uh, for about what, six to eight weeks. 
And then uh, the last week's pretty easy. You're just getting ready, cutting. You shouldn't be doing anything hard. Your last hard sparring session should have been the week before. And then we uh, we just couldn't wait the week of the fight. It should be just recovering from little injuries because if you train hard, you're going to go into any fight probably about 75 to 80%. You're never going to be 100%. And uh, just the, wet, the rest is cutting weight. And I always had an easy time making 55 when I used to fight at 55 because I'd walk around at 165. And then when I made 45, that was my hardest cut. My boxing coach's scale was off. And I was supposed to cut nine pounds the day of weigh-ins. Ended up being 12.5 pounds the day of. So I had to go back to the sauna after weighing in, being 2.5 over, and uh, and cutting some more weight, which was like another hour and a half or so. And then coming back and getting naked. And I remember I weighed in at 144.5. And then I went home. I still wasn't hungry because I, dro I dropped so much weight. Uh, I had to get two IVs in me for my uh, paramedics that were students of mine. I had two IVs in me, and by the second IV, I got my appetite back. I wasn't talking gibberish anymore. Like my wife said, I was talking gibberish, and I uh, got my my I ate pasta, whatever, to get ready for the next day, and then everything was fine. I weighed in the next day. I weighed at 144.5 at weigh-ins. The next day, I think I was 158, 160 for the fight. Yeah. And that, how, how harmful is that for the body, though, to go fluctuate like that? No, it's not good, and also what it does too, because you know, we were all learning stuff back back then. Everything was trial and error. Like I look back, a lot of the sparring sessions that we had, we shouldn't have been going so hard all the time, trying to prove who the toughest guy in the gym was, because it just takes years off your career and long term injuries and stuff. You know, uh, everybody trains way smarter now. Um, the only thing I dislike about today is social media. I think is given an avenue to a lot of guys that really don't train hard that half-ass training and then just want to be a superstar and go out there and build up an amateur career against jabronis and go out there and win a couple fights and act like they're the next big superstar, the next Conor McGregor or next O'Malley or something, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not the same. We barely took pictures back in the day. I think when we had social media from training, it was finally MySpace, and that was it. You see pictures once in a blue moon of us training. You said an amateur. I'm sorry to mean up, but, uh, for someone like me who's still learning this, I, I use you as a lot because you're the first person I met. We work with together, uh, so I, I'm always picking your brain. So when you say amateur, what's the difference between an amateur and a pro? I mean, is there the training, the way to fight, the gear? Well, amateur, we never had amateurs when I started fighting. I was lucky enough to have competed in so many karate and te taekwondo tournaments coming up as a kid that I didn't have that uh, – that fear to walk out or that anxiety like a lot of guys have today. I had blinders on because I was focused. All I could hear is my corner until everything was over and the fight was over. Then it was like everything opened up and I could hear the crowd. It, it was kind of weird, but I guess it just doing it for so many years competing. And that's what I tell guys today. The best way to get over your anxiety because I have a lot of these guys today that come to class and they're like, oh, I can smell the weed. I'm like, bro, really? You hot box before you came to class? Oh, this helps me with my anxiety. I go, dude, if you have anxiety from coming to class and training with people you know, you're going to have way worse anxiety for your fight and getting ready for your fight. And you can't smoke weed with the day of the fight. What are you going to do? So it's just a mental thing. Uh, but competing, going to grappling tournaments, uh, taekwondo, kickbox, whatever it is, as long as you're competing, you get rid of those, those butterflies and that anxiety. You still have it, but it's not going to be as bad. It's going to be more controlled because you're so used to competing against different people you don't know. And that's the key. But uh, 
as far as like amateur and pro, the difference is uh, amateur is three rounds, three three-minute rounds. Uh, they wear bigger gloves, six to seven ounce, and they have to wear shin guards here in Florida. Other states, you don't have to wear shin guards. The pros, it's three five-minute rounds, and it's four-ounce gloves. So now the gloves are smaller. And now, you know, Jorge Mesvidal, Gamebred, and Dean Tool, those guys are doing an awesome job with, uh, with Gamebred MMA. They brought back their knuckle MMA. So now you're not even wearing gloves. You just got the knuckles exposed and all the rest of your weapons, elbows, knees, and ground and pound and grappling. It's all, you can do everything, which is amazing. I, I think I enjoy those fights more than I've been watching these last couple UFC cards. I, and I think the, the game is a little more exciting for them. So you talk about amateur, you talk about pro. Um, so what are you guys' thoughts on the Jake Pauls that call themselves fighters? Are you guys fans I of those love, guys? I love the Paul brothers. I, I don't I don't know why people talk shit about them. Because first thing I like that they did is they weren't scared to go head to head with Dana White. They they were right away calling Dana out for not paying the fighters because I'll say it to this day, UFC fighters don't get paid what they deserve. It's only the top probably four or five percent that make a name for themselves that actually start seeing a little bit of money. Because if those guys really got paid, you wouldn't see all these older guys still trying to fight. Vitor, uh, Frank Mir, all these other guys still, still trying to fight at this age. It's like, you should have enough money and retire. The only one that's really done it yet uh, is Connor. And the only reason Connor has money to retire is because he fought Floyd Mayweather and Floyd Mayweather made him a millionaire. That's the only reason. So when you say that, and I swear, I so when you say those guys, what about the sponsors? The um, uh, like you get sponsors or advertisements. You would see sponsors for the fighters about eight years ago. Fighters, all right. So put it this way: a good friend of mine to this day, and I did my last fight camp at his gym. The guy was a monster. He was at one point considered pound for pound one of the top five fighters in the world. Miguel Torres. Miguel Torres uh, used to tell me when he was WEC champ and Uriah was WEC champ, he was one thirty-five. Uriah was one forty-five. When you uh, when they came to fight, they got twenty thousand to show, twenty thousand to win. But here's what fighters don't take into account: you might fight two to three times a year. Even if I got forty or eighty, then one hundred and twenty, one hundred twenty thousand dollars for that year, you still got to take taxes out of that, twenty percent for your manager, ten uh, percent to fifteen percent for your coaches, plus you got to pay for extra training partners that are coming coming in to stay with you. You got paid for the food room and board. Like Chris Barnett, when Chris Barnett used to be a training partner for Alistair Overing, Alistair would pay him $6,000, $8,000 just to come in and, and and be there for an eight-week camp. And he'll pay his food, give him a place to stay at his house. But he had to go train with Alistair twice a day. That was the deal. But uh, So Miguel and Uriah would get 40000 Take all that percentage off for the manager, coaches, uh, taxes, and everything else. They would end up with four thousand dollars in their pocket if they won and got the forty thousand. So can you imagine four thousand after you put all that work in? But what saved them back then? They had sponsors. Miguel used to make over a hundred thousand dollars in sponsors every title fight that he had. So Miguel's making money. He's got at that time Budweiser, uh, Walmart sponsored him because they had a fight thing going on. They had him, Anderson, and Rampage were the ones they were sponsoring. So these guys were still making money on sponsors. UFC got rid of that when they did the Reebok deal. Because Reebok wanted to come in and put their stuff on people. And then they were paying a, a small, like $2,000 percentage to fighters. So the fighters lost money. Even Greg Jackson said he used to make 20% off of each of his fighters' sponsors. So he lost 250000 for that year. Uh, Stitch, who was their main cut guy, 
he used to put sponsors on his jacket to come out and they used to pay him. And guess what? As soon as Snitch goes, oh, I can't wear this, I have to wear a Reebok. Now you cost me money. They didn't white cut him. They got rid of him. So so, fighters aren't making what they should be making. No, not for going out to putting your body on the line like that and, and no. for entertainment. No. 100% agree with that. There's, there's no way you guys make enough money to do what you guys do. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so what goes through your mind the day of a fight? like that morning until you walk into that ring. Just, just relax, man. You just want to chill. The hard part's over already. You already made the weight. You did the training camp. The fight's the easy part. If you trained right, that's easy. That's your fun day. I mean, you're going to have some nerves and stuff like that, but basically sleep in. Sometimes you go get a, a sweat in the morning just to get you know your body moving, stretching, good sweat. And then you come back to the room if you're, if you're out of town. Uh, go get breakfast, just chill, hang out, watch TV. Then we usually have to be at the arena probably by four o'clock. Then you're probably not fighting till anywhere between seven and eleven o'clock, depending on where you are in the card. But usually it's just chill, man. And that's why it's cool to have the right people around you. I've done this so many times. I've been cornering for over twenty years. That when I go with these guys' places, we're shooting the shit, we're having fun, we're joking. I'm trying to keep their mind focused on the fight still. We're still talking about the fight and game plan, but also relax and having fun because you already have enough stress in your life already as it is. So you go out there, you go have fun. If you're having fun, you're going to perform. If you're stressed out and nervous too much, you're not going to perform. You're not going to pull the trigger. So the question, I'm sorry, the question I asked um, Corey and these other fighters that I work with and that we interviewed here, I mentioned to them, do you guys watch other fighters videos to kind of see their style and things like that too is that something you do because some people say no don't because the, the fighter's style might change not so much in the amateurs um sometimes we do if it's a title fight or something but for the pros yeah we do we study we study because people are creatures of habit and now like when i used to fight it's hard to find video on me because i used to never post stuff because i don't want people to see what i what i'm good at what i do even though i try to evolve every fight and to me, every six months, I should be better than I was six months ago. So I'm always trying to evolve. To this day, I'm 47 years old, and I still train. I've been training twice a day, Monday through Thursday, and I train one in the morning, Fridays, and sometimes I train at home on Saturdays. I'm still pushing myself because I, I just love to compete. But um, it's just one of those things that you uh, – oh, shit, I just lost my train of thought. Go ahead. <laughs> you love to compete. We're going to get no, you back in the ring? But your question. Yeah. I've had offers I had when Bare Knuckle came to town. Uh, three, four years ago, they, they offered me because they knew I sold tickets. I used to sell 500 tickets for the RFC when I used to fight here locally for them. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I get the answer every once in a while. Honestly, if I do anything anymore, I like that karate combat. It would probably be karate yeah. combat if I did anything. That'd be nice. But you're talking about the friends that you make and people that you talk to and stuff like that. So, brotherhood must be very important in MMA. As well as because I know we talk about brotherhood in um, wrestling. So MMA. When you sweat with somebody and you train with them and you put your body on the line to help them get ready for a fight or they vice versa, you build a bond and it's like a family bond. I mean, you're gonna have guys. Everybody's got different personalities, but once it comes to the training part and everybody's helping each other, it's just like you build lifelong bonds. I still even through traditional martial arts from the age of nine when I started, I still have friends that started with me that don't do it no more, but we still talk every now and then, or guys that were older than me that stopped training and see me progress over the years, you know, with the business, keep on moving up in rank, 
And it's just one of those things you still keep contact with people. But I judge people a lot on their character because based on I still have friends from elementary school that I still talk to or their friends on Facebook. Uh, if I don't if I meet you for the first time and I get to know you a little bit and you don't really have any long term friends, I'm kind of curious why, what kind of personality you have or what happened. Why don't you still have connections from back in your day? You know, that's why he doesn't return my phone calls. On that on the same thing, I'm sorry for interrupting. Uh, on that same thing about friendship, have you been in the in an octagon or the ring with some your boy, your buddy that you may have trained with, and did you just happen to have to be on the same bout that night against each other? All right, so my first pro fight was two thousand and six for RFC. It was at USF Sundown. We had four thousand, five thousand people in the audience, and they had all the fireworks, smoke and all that stuff. And uh, I was the fourth fight, maybe the third fight. So I had six other guys I was going to corner after me. So they put me in the beginning. So I had a buffer fight. So I can go to the back shower change after my fight and corner six guys that night. So you always got to wear different hats. So I remember being in the back, being ready to come out, warmed up, mind straight, and Matt Royal who's another good friend of mine here. He owns Gracie Tampa South. He was a fight before mine. He fought Matt Brown, the immortal Brown. They okay. fought right before me. So then I was getting ready to go out. So I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, I'm next. Boom. I go out. I'm psyched up. And that's the first time I fought. The first cage I ever fought, it was a 30-foot cage, which is the same size as the UFC. Then my second fight was in a 20. I was in a ring. Then my third fight was in a 24, I think a 22 to 24 cage. So I got to fight in different sizes, which gives me an advantage when I train guys, because I know how it feels to be in a ring. I know how it feels to be in a big cage, which favors a striker. And I know how what it feels like to be in a smaller cage, which favors a grappler. So you have to know all these little things because it makes a difference depending on your fighting style. But uh, so I finished my fight. I went on bar first round. I was pumped up, celebrating, ran to the back, showered, changed. And then a fifth fight, I think it was, I started cornering guys. I cornered six guys that night. Um, you do a lot, man. That's awesome, man. Yeah, one of so, them, Carl Malenko. He was fighting for the. He won the uh, RFC 185 title that night. Uh, he was fresh out of uh, Japan. Carl Malenko was out of Pride, and he he fought Vandalay Silva to decision out there and lost. And then he came back to the states because he had a knee injury. And then he started training with us, and he was my main training partner. That's where I get my catch wrestling roots. Uh, my main training partner in the mornings. So uh, all the Hindu squats and all that I got is, is from Carl. And we're still good friends uh, to this day, man. I talk to him and Rick Lee all the time. We message each other and stuff. But Carl uh, fought in front of 60,000 people in Pride in Japan. I don't know if you guys do about the Pride Federation. Because the order I put them in is my favorite all-time organizations were Pride, WEC, and then UFC. Just for excitement and the fighters, the level of the fighters. That's how I put it. So are you a striker or a submission person? I'm good at both, man. That's why I was one of the first guys in this area that could put it all together. Because a lot of guys were just strikers and they didn't want to get taken down. A lot of guys were just grapplers. They didn't want to get hit. I was good with whatever. I, I go out there and strike you. You strike back. If I want to take you down, I'll take you down. If you took me down, I'm fine there too. Because I had submissions and I could get back to my feet. So it didn't matter for me where a lot of guys were still one-dimensional when I was still fighting. But what was it like to get your first punch to get hit first time? I mean, I was competing already in Taekwondo tournaments since I was nine years old. So 
uh, I was fighting adults at 14 years old. And the way Taekwondo was back then when I competed, it wasn't where you have mats and like, oh, hold on, don't hit so hard, use an excessive force. We were trying to knock each other out and they put scotch tape in a square, two lines, and it was a uh, gym floor. So if you fell, which you usually do, you slip and fall, you hit your elbow or your back, it hurts. Then you get back up. We're trying to knock each other out. So I got hit young early. So uh, I, when it came to fight, I wasn't worried because I've already been hit, you know, since I was a kid. So it doesn't bother me. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> I guess that's good training, right? I, yeah. You know. Do I want to get hit? No. no I tell my guys all the time, hit with purpose. <laughs> do not get hit. Move, stick. I don't want to be that tough guy just trading shots because we see how that ends up. Everybody can take so many shots until your chin's gone. Once your chin's gone, that's it. You get knocked out easy. You ever been knocked out? Mm -mm. No. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's your most memorable uh, moment of your MMA career? My last fight, uh, 2009, um, I had a lot of things in that camp that went bad. I did an eight-week camp, and then the week before, my last hard sparring session, I broke my right hand, this middle corporal here. And it was my fault. I did hard training. I took my gloves off. There was a young 16-year-old girl that was training with me, had a kickboxing match coming up. She goes, Garcia, let's, let's go. I go, I'm done. I'm done. I already took my wraps off. We'll just go light. I go ahead, just put the gloves on, no wraps. I threw a light body shot, and I caught her elbow in a weird angle. And I went, man, that, that didn't feel right. The next day I woke up, my hand was swollen. I could barely move it. I was like, mother effort. I can't believe I broke my hand. And now the fight's this week, and I got to cut weight and everything else. That was my first time going to 145. So I was stressed. I called my boxing coach up, and he looked at it. He goes, yeah, it's fractured, but you can still fight. You got other weapons, and uh, I'll tape you up good. And then once you get pumped up and adrenaline and hits, you won't feel it. And I was like, all right. I took his word for it. So I go out there, and I had a bad weight cut, that 12 pounds, 12.5 that, that day too. So I was just all this was on my mind. They switched my opponent to couple weeks before from another guy and this guy went from a regular stance to a softball stance which was my first time fighting softball so it kind of threw me off a little bit too and he trained with somebody that knew my style and knew me personally because yeah, I used to train with him so I had all these things going against me in that fight camp so I go out there and uh I'm kind of stiff a little bit the kid hits me with a straight left kind of rocks me boom 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 grabs me throws me boom. I spin around trying to you know, grab on so I can get my marbles back. And the kids were hitting me and I can't grab, pull him into my guard. I'm trying. And he's hitting me. He's hitting me. Finally, I said, screw this. I kick him, get back to my feet. And then that was it. I forgot about my hand. I forgot about everything, the bad weight cut. I'm in a fight now. And everything just started working. Boom. I was punching with that hand. I was throwing knees, elbows. Uh, I TKO'd him in the second round uh, with uh, three knees to the liver he dropped, and then I put knee on belly, and I hit him with 10 punches before the ref pulled me off. And then I forgot about my hand, so I was like, ah, you know, pumped, because I just came through adversity. To me, that's how you talk with real fighters, too. There's guys that are the tough guys, and as long as they're beating people up, they're fine. When you see a real fighter's heart is when they're put through adversity, and they get hurt, and see how they come back from that. Are they looking for a way out, you know, flight or, or fight? Or they look in a fight and, and come back. And that showed everybody I was a fighter and I'm, I'm here to fight. And one of my good friends to this day, he teaches Wednesdays at my school, Rob Kahn, who, uh, who's the owner of Gracie Tampa and, and created the Gracie Tampa Network here. He's under Hoist Gracie, one of Hoist Gracie's first black belts. 
he uh, he was there for that fight. And at that time, we didn't like each other. But we talked a couple of years after that, after we became friends again. He goes, bro, not for nothing. I didn't like you, but I had to respect you after that fight because you came back. A kid rocked you and you came back and you weren't showing no quit and you had heart. And I go, bro. And I had a bad weight cut and a broken hand. And I forgot about all that once I got hit. So that was my defining moment, I think, when it comes to my MMA career. Awesome, man. So in, in MMA, in martial arts, even in Taekwondo, um, is there a, what's your biggest inspiration in all around that keeps you going, that makes you want to do what you do? Just I love the way I feel after I train. I, I can't explain it. It's the high that you get and the results you get. Like I'm competing against myself. I want to be faster than I was last week. I want to be stronger than I was last week. I want to have more technique, more skill level than I did last week. So it's an ongoing thing. I never stop learning. I'm always learning. I, I went to Thailand in 2019, right before COVID hit. I went to Thailand, went to Bangkok, and I went to Pattaya. I got to train at Yokao Gym, where, where, where Sanchez, uh trains at. And I wanted to train with him. I was going to do a private with him. And a week before I was supposed to go, he pulled out and he goes, hey, I'll get you the week after because he took a fight in England. So because he fights like every month. So I go, well, I'm not gonna, I'm only there for eight days. So he gave me another kid that had 262 Muay Thai fights. So I trained with him for like three hours. And bro, that's where I got my sweeps. I don't know if you see me sweeping people and my elbows was from training there. And I tell people all the time, training, I've trained Muay Thai with different places here. And I have a lot of friends that have good Muay Thai schools and stuff and been to Thailand. But the training, when you go to the Thailand, it's way different. That's real Muay Thai. The way those guys train in that heat, and those guys are fighting since they're little kids. That's why their records were like 200, 300 fights. It's it's ridiculous. Wow. So yourself is an inspiration. And is there a one fighter that um, is an inspiration to you as well? Uh, there's a few coming up. Like Miguel Torres was a big, big inspiration for me. I met him in 2004, 2005. My nephew was training with him and kept on telling me about him. But back then, nobody knew the lighter weights. Everybody was 155 or heavier. So my he was a 135er. And he was fighting 45, 55, and 35. So he came down. And at one point, my gym was like the main MMA gym in Florida, or in Tampa. And uh, we used to have uh, all the pro fighters from all the different gyms come and train with us for sparring and grappling on Sundays. And we had this big training session. I remember Rob Kahn was there. He was getting ready for a fight when he was still fighting, too. Uh, he was going to fight uh, Ben Saunders at uh, Cage what is it cage fighting championships it was in orlando chris hickman show and they were going to fight for the 170 title but then he ended up hurting his back in training and he had to pull out he's that was the end of his fight career i believe but uh so we have rob there matt arroyo was there matt i think was a purple belt uh carl malenko all of us all training together like 30 40 pro fighters all of us are pros all training together different weights and Miguel came down because he was doing a seminar like the day before. So he stayed and trained and he brought with him Eddie Weinman. Remember Eddie Weinman? Yeah. All right. Eddie Weinman, WC champ. And he was in UFC uh, for a while. Uh, he was under Miguel. Eddie Weinman was 18 years old at the time when he came down with Miguel, WC champ. Wow. And WC just locked their, their TV deal. So he on, his, on the first TV, he defended uh, his title. And he lost it, I think, to Chase Beebe. And then they signed Miguel, and then Miguel beat Chase Beebe's wrestling coach. Then he beat Chase Beebe and then went on his two-year tear, you know, beating everybody all over the world in WEC. Uh, but uh, Miguel was there, 
and uh, Miguel, after we all finished training, we're all just sitting around talking. Miguel and Edson Berto. You guys heard of Edson Berto, right? Yeah. Name sounds familiar. All right. Edson Berto, the Berto family, uh, one of the prestigious Florida families here. I, I inducted DeSoto Berto into the Florida Hall of Fame in 2020, my first year I did it. Um, but his son Edson was ama amazing. I was one of his main training partners, too, for MMA. And uh, him, it was Edson 155er who walked around probably about 180. And Miguel, who walks around about 150, he, or 145, dropping to 135, just banging with little MMA gloves. And they, we're just watching these guys and all, like, holy shit. And then they're like, hey, who's next? We're like, we're good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed, I noticed in the beginning when I used to watch it, and I watched some older clips of the UFP and some older fights, it didn't seem like they had a whole lot of weight class then. There's some little guys going some big dudes. When did that weight class start taking place? They didn't have uh, 155 division. I mean, they didn't have anything under 155 division, the 145, 35, and 25. And now with women 115 uh, until after they bought over WEC. When they bought over D WEC, they brought over those weight classes. And that's when you start seeing the 25, 35, 45. And then some of their 55ers and 70s and 85ers came over with them because uh, Jail Sonnen was fighting out of WEC too. He came over with that. So let's take a minute and talk about um, the Florida Mixed Martial Arts Hall of Fame. So. You're the president of that organization. Talk to us about the, the Hall of Fame and what it. All right. So when we do what we do, especially, you know, business, but martial arts business, we're always on the go. We're always traveling. We're always here. We're, we're here. This is our focus. So we never have time to sit back and enjoy what we've done or, or think about what we've done or what we're going to do. So uh, it was during COVID and we couldn't be open. I think we were closed for like 11 weeks, but we still did secret trainings. Me and a couple guys, we were still training. I got in probably some of the best shape I've ever been in during that time frame. But uh, for the main people, we were closed. So I, I'd get home five o'clock. Usually I don't get home till about eight or nine. I'm at home at five o'clock like this. What am I going to do? And then I started thinking, oh, UFC Hall of Fame, Boxing Hall of Fame. I go, how come we don't have a Hall of Fame that's outside the UFC? Because UFC is always who Dana wants to put in, which I don't think they've put in Frank Shamrock, who deserves to be there, Vitor Belfort. You know, these are guys that deserve to be in there. Why don't you have those guys in there already, you know? So I said, Florida's got such a, a base for combat sports, uh, MMA, boxing, pro wrestling, everything. So I said, what if we have our own uh, Hall of Fame? So I reached out to a couple of my old guys, uh, Chris Hickman, Ross Kellen, and I talked to them, yeah, man, yeah, you know, you should do it. Well, I wanted more help, but I, I'll do it. So I, I did, I set up the event. I came up, I had one of my students make this logo. And I said, well, I'm going to do it. So I went ahead, got the LLC, and we went ahead and did our first event in 2020. And it was, I think we ended up to 10 people. Conan was the main guy from ATT Coconut Creek. Conan's been around for years. Uh, we put this over Carl Gotch, um, uh, Tommy Trauma, another Florida legend, uh, Master Mirror Dad, who used to do all the Muay uh, Thai events here at University of Tampa. He, all these guys have passed away. So I think I did 10 people, seven passed away, and three were still alive. I think it was in the first year or second year I put Josh Saman in too. So, because uh, he did a lot for Florida too with Combat Night. Um, but all these guys that 
get in. And it, you don't just have to be a fighter. You could be a coach, a fighter, uh, a commentator, ring announcer, a doctor, somebody with a commission, somebody help put the cage up, somebody help organize events, matchmaker, promoter, anything to do with MMA. As long as you did something to put an impact or do something that was, you know, to help Florida grow for MMA, you're eligible to be put in. So I usually put 10 people in a year. So I did 2020. 2021 and then 2022 2023 i think i put 11 12 people in and we had our first female go in which was jessica aguilar because to me she's the pioneer for women's mma out of florida uh she's done it all one belts everywhere it's, it's been to the highest levels and she's coaching and she does tournaments and everything else and she has an amazing story so uh next year i'm already looking at the list for, for next year we're going to do it october november I haven't decided if we're going to go back to Orlando, back to Tampa. And a lot of guys are trying to get me to go down south to uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, down that way. So uh, I don't make money on these things. So whatever I get is for the awards and and to help put this event together for these people. So I, I think all these guys deserve their 15 minutes, you know, because they help build what we have today. And to me, Florida now, because California went downhill after COVID, it was always Florida and California like this. Florida the Mecca for MMA. You have the best gyms, the best fighters, the best everything is here. And that's why everybody comes over here. I got people from other states coming to MMA. Other people leave their states, go to Coconut Creek. They go to MMA Masters. They go to, let's uh, say, Kilcourt now, which used to be Black Zillions. So uh, there's so many gyms here and top-level coaches and top-level fighters. Uh, we had to have our own Hall of Fame. And next year, we're going to do a special one, uh, Carlson Gracie, because Carlson Sr., who passed in 2007, uh, I'm under his lineage, uh, under Renato Santos and Carlson Gracie Jr. Uh, his dad touched so many people in MMA. He had the best fighters out of jiu-jitsu, out of this little box in Brazil. He had the Nogueira brothers, Roberto Laborio, Conan. You look at the, his lineage. And he had the best jujitsu for MMA. So we're going to do a special award. I'm going to duck Carlson next year. Carlson Jr. is going to accept it. And then we're going to have a Lifetime Achievement Carlson Gracie Award that we're going to present once a year to one person that's, you know, deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award. And we're going to present them with the Carlson Gracie Lifetime Achievement Award at the Florida Miss Martial Arts Open. I have to say, I got an invite to the, uh, thank you again for the invite to the last one. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it, but I've seen the pictures and it's absolutely, you put on a beautiful, beautiful uh, ceremony there. Yeah, it's we're at UCF uh, College and uh, it was great to, to do it there. Uh, Professor Chris, who got us in there because of uh, the Memorial, the Memorial teaches Jiu-Jitsu there. Uh, we have the Jiu-Jitsu club. So we were putting Memorial and he was the main guy we put in this year. And he's going to get his pool belt next year, by the way. So he's going to have to be finally. It takes after a year black belt, usually takes about 30 years to get your pool belt in jiu jitsu. Yeah. So that just tells you how long he's been training. And he's the original Carlson Gracie guy. But that guy's had an impact on all of MMA, all of jiu jitsu. So we had to put him in this year. So it was Carlson. Then we put Ben Saunders in, uh, Luigi, Fuerivante. Uh, we put in Jessica Aguilar, uh, Paul Dominic, another guy who's done everything in, in Florida promoting. I remember going to his first event in 2003. It was in Key West, outside next to a cemetery. And 
<laughs> it was a rough event, but you know, he's been doing events for so long. And then uh who else we put in this year? Julian Williams, you see him all the time in Fusion. Uh they're kicking butt. You always see them at the top shows, whether it be PFL, uh Bellator, UFC, YFC, uh Karate Combat, or Knuckle. Julian's always got guys, he's always traveling, he's always cornering people. So we had to put Julian this year too. Paul Rodriguez was Julian's coach, another guy who's a pioneer. Him and Dean Thomas started, you know, basically jujitsu in Orlando area. And we're just trying to come up with stuff until they got ATT and then they started learning under the Boreal Cornan and those guys. But it's just funny how everything's evolved. But none of these guys would ever got the recognition or what they deserve for what they've done for our sport. And then I said, What? Florida makes martial arts all the thing. We're gonna do it and we're gonna recognize people. And I, I have a list of people I need to get to and I get people all say, Hey, how come you haven't put so and so in I'm going to get to them. They're on my list. But I put in so many people every year. So it just depends on when I put them in. Right. So women like Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey, do they ever come through you? Do they? you ever see those guys, those ladies? And are, are they as good? As, are they as meaningful to the women's MMA as I would think they would be? Yeah, of course. Shayna Baszler was one of the pioneers in women's MMA. She was fighting in Strike Force and all these indie shows way before anybody knew who she was in UFC and the Ultimate Fighter. And then, uh, of course, you can't deny Ronda's impact on, on MMA and her amazing turn from MMA to wrestling. Uh, she's an amazing woman. When I have my radio show, I have her mom, Anna Maria, on my show, and her mom's an amazing woman. Her mom, I think, was the first judo Olympian to medal out of guys and girls. She was the first U.S. Uh, Olympian to medal out of anybody, uh, guys or girls. Um, she's an entrepreneur. She has different businesses. She was promoting her video game she had for uh, kids for school, how to learn how to do math by making it fun where they're playing video games, how to learn how to read by playing video games. And she was pushing that through California and stuff. Uh, she talked about how when Rhonda was little, how she would jump on her and make her go arm bar, arm bar, right when she woke up because her mom was doing arm bars. So naturally, that's what Rhonda got good at. But then she was like, all right, I can teach you so much and I'm good here. Let me take you to the French guys doing judo, the Japanese guys doing judo, the Russian guys doing judo or sambo. She would take her to different clubs and let her get their styles and I incorporate to hers. That's why Rhonda was so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah very. Another one that's right now, doing what Rhonda did, but on a, on a, she's a little bit bigger weight class, Kayla Harrison. She's amazing. I love watching her fight. Uh, her stand-up's getting tighter. Uh, she's on a great team, American Top Team, Pope, Pope and Creek. She, uh, her judo and wrestling is on point. Uh, Aspen Ladd, his father. Aspen Ladd was almost a title contender in UFC. And okay. she beat her up for three rounds. Okay. Wow. Cool. So now you're the owner of the American Top Team Tampa, the owner of world-class martial arts. Can you talk about that? Um, that business and what you expect from people coming in and what you teach them and hope for what they, when they leave, hope what their hope is. Well, not only do we help them uh, to become good fighters or be able to defend themselves, uh, we also hope when they leave us, they're actually better people. Because to me, I would never give a black belt to somebody who's a piece of shit, basically. If you're just a piece of shit person and it's all about you, nobody else, that's not what martial arts is about. Martial arts is about um giving back after you get a certain level of learning giving back helping teach 
because now when you help teach, when you become a certain level, you're helping the next person come up. It's almost like I made it to here. Let me reach back, give you my hand. I'm going to bring you here where I'm at. And it teaches you the techniques from a different perspective, not just learning the technique. Now you're teaching it, so you see it from different from a different perspective. But uh, to me, if you're a black belt in any martial art, you should be a good person, good human being, and not looking for fights. If something happens, you have to defend yourself. You can defend yourself. You have no doubt. You have confidence wherever you walk. But my goal right now is to have these guys, girls, coming up and have them have confidence in themselves where they can defend themselves. They can walk into a room full of people and have that confidence to talk in front of people, yeah. to have that confidence to, when they shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, not fear anybody, ne never feel like I'm threatened or I'm in danger. They have that confidence. That's what I want. I know. I, I know this one thing. I've been working with you for about a year now. I've been in great, but I know you also work with the students, younger kids, and I've seen it firsthand how he actually cares about their education. He knows you're not going to get rich beating up people. Schools, and I've seen this firsthand from uh, Mr. Garcia. He cares about their education. He, he teaches them, like you said, the confidence growing up. He's really involved in these young children and, and as well as the adults, and I'm really amazed. You amazed me for that, man. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh -huh. it's not just me, it's a team. You have to have a team. Like, we have a great group of coaches right now at the gym. We have, uh, I'm the head coach. I have uh, Chris Marino, Professor Chris. He teaches in Oak Lake Belt. He teaches on Mondays, uh, 7 o'clock, Jose Gitson. Professor Rob Kong, who's from his jiu jitsu is out of this world, man. That guy's brain in jiu jitsu is it's like a night sign. Uh, he teaches Wednesdays at 7. Uh, we have Trey Brown, he's got probably about 400 fights between kickboxing, MMA, bare knuckle. Uh, he teaches the MMA at 8 o'clock after I teach MMA at 7. So they're getting two different books, my style at 7 and Trey's style at 8. And that's Tuesday, Thursdays. Uh, Edgar uh, Delgado teaches the kids. And then sometimes Coach Alex comes in and helps him out. We used to have Coach Kotlin. She would come in and help with the kids too. So we've always had a good group of coaches. And we're looking out for everybody's like, best interest when it comes to us and, and if someone comes and they, they train with us for a little bit they leave that's fine because it's not a fit for everybody i want you to be comfortable because i want that family atmosphere i don't want this ego here i gotta beat up everybody uh, i'm trying to be prove i'm the toughest guy i don't want that shit in my gym i want guys that want to come there help each other and get better if you just want to beat somebody up go to someone else's gym that's gonna let you do that and let them you can beat up other people that are paying tuition <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't. I don't know if we. Um, you can stop me if you want. But are we talking about any future shows here? You want to bring that up now or no? Yeah, uh, World Class Fight League. Uh, thirty six, I believe it is. We're doing it. We're going back to Ocala, and yep. this is a uh, pretty much a nonprofit event because it's all it's um for the first responders in Ocala. We did it last year. I think we raised fifty thousand or something like that for the first responders' mental health which is a new thing because I didn't even know about it. When I started getting involved with these guys, it was the Ocala Airport and Chris Hickman brought me in. He's a captain for the fire department down there. I've known Chris for years. Uh, another guy who did MMA, had a great MMA coach, had team trauma over there with Tommy Trauma. Uh, can't say enough good things about Chris, but he brought me in. He goes, if you guys want to do an event, this is the guy you need to talk to. So brought me in. And they wanted to go. They were talking to me like December. And they wanted to hey, end of January. Let's do this event. That's too soon. We got to build this up. Let's do April. So it gave us enough time to start getting the buzz out, getting to these gyms, getting Ocala area. And it was all for a good cause, first responders. 
a lot of firefighters, EMT, uh, paramedics, besides police officers, are all taking their own lives because they deal with so much stress. They see things that people don't get over. Like when you, I have police officers I train and stuff they see on a daily basis, it'll screw anybody up, man. And then it makes you feel bad when you see like a kid or an animal, anything being abused or, or killed for no reason. It's just stuff that sticks with you, like military. So uh, we did this event. We did it at the Ocala Airport, clear the hangar out, put the cage right at the door so the door's open. And the runways right behind there. We had airplanes, first responder vehicles, and all that. We had 2,000 people in there. We had four bleachers set up, chairs, tables on the bottom. And uh, like I said, it was a great event, great night of fights. I think we had 15, 16 fights, kickboxing, MMA, kids grappling. Uh, everybody had a great time. And the, the the whole community came together. When I looked over, uh, when we were about to do the, the uh, national anthem, and I look over, it was packed from the very beginning, which is rare for MMA shows. Usually people like to come in a little bit later. And then that's when you start getting the crowds. But from the very beginning, we were sold out in packed. Uh, the color guard came out, did their thing. We had the guy with the bagpipes. He did his thing. Uh, it was amazing. It was such a great. It made me proud to be an American again. Everybody took their hats off, put our hands here, you know, to, to, to uh, for the national anthem. And that's what we're missing. I think everybody's missing that bringing us together kind of feel and that's what i felt with that event so i'm so happy that we're going to do it again february 24th yep. in ocala airport again and hopefully it's going to be bigger and better this time because we learned from the last show what we need to fix to critique so I'm, I'm so happy to be part of that thank you again for that and i understand about the ptsd i'm a united states marine corps veteran and i i suffer from ptsd depression anxiety as well so i love what you're doing and bringing awareness because there's so many people out there that go through a lot and you guys are bringing awareness down for our first responders but for the military personnel thank you for that yeah no no problem man like i said it's a team effort uh kyle uh and matt out there at ocala airport you know they're part of the team with me chris hickman uh, you know, and then we're always trying to add more people to the team to make it better. That's why we added you on the last time. So you're part of the team now. Sound good, buddy. And yeah, Nick, I gotta say this. You know, um, I wanted to say this a little bit ago, but your your body positiveness um, uh, thesis that or theme that you guys put that you put out there with uh, Knockout Entertainment, it gives people hope where they might not even have hope. You know, and you accept everybody for what they are, and then you. You, you give them that platform so don't count yourself um short on that you are a great guy with running great promotion so well going back on that i've seen nick do this for a while now like you said uh you never know what someone's going through we all everybody's going through something whether you lost your mom your dad your wife your kid everybody's going through some kind of depression or, or something but nick's always trying to bring people up and that's 100%. why we partnered up so good because i'm doing the same thing we try to bring people up and yeah. we're not judging anybody everybody makes their own decisions in life and everybody makes mistakes we're human but you can always come back from whatever you did mostly <laughs> depending on what you did if you did anything with kids or anything like that that's that's done but <laughs> if you if you did anything that you know you can come back and and work and make yourself a better person and give back that's the key is giving back Get yourself to here, reach back, pull that next person up. Yeah. That way, you guys are helping each other climb. You can't do it by yourself. That's what no, I don't understand. But yeah, man, you're right, man. You're right. I can talk a little bit about that. You know, I use this podcast as a self care for me. 
um, because I take care of eight kids, foster care. You hear all their stuff. You read all their stories. And you need a, you need, I need a scapegoat from everything. So it's like I, that's why I go podcast every like five days a week because I need that hour and a half to step away from reality. And you have eight kids. I have, I care for eight, I cut care for eight foster kids at a time. Okay. All right. My so you're doing something for the foster pro. I thought you were saying yeah. that you had no, eight no, no, kids. No, 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 no. My wife and I run a foster care, um, pro, um, uh, emergency shelter for foster care here in the panhandle of Florida. Oh, that's awesome, man. And uh, we've cared for, since we've been doing this for the past eight years, we've cared for over 276 kids. Oh, came wow. Through our, came through our, you know, and you, there's days where you go, man, why am I doing this? You know, and then all of a sudden you get the phone call from that one kid that gave you all kinds of crap. But yeah, he wants to know how you made that that recipe eight years ago. You're like, and that just, you know, then you have, I have, I'll be, I'll show, I can't share names, but a girl came in our in our program and she was a mother to her to her siblings and she was 16 years old and she came to us in the eighth grade right so she should be further on she should be in high school at 16 years old in five months she went to the academy in five months she went from well less than that four months she went from the eighth grade she's about to start her senior year right after christmas break and she'll graduate so she puts in the hard work and those are those things that go okay yeah that's why i do this okay it is and that's uh that's real admirable admirable and uh i'm glad that you're doing that because a lot of people don't they, they like i said people work eight to five go home watch tv that's a lot of people do that's their whole life and i'm like <laughs> when you look back at your life like what have you really done? Have you tried to help anybody? Have you done anything to volunteer here? Because I did a probably about 10 years ago, uh, we did a foster kid program at our gym. There's a place called Faith Children's Home, which is okay. probably about 10 minutes from my gym. And I kind of grew up in that area, a couple of neighborhoods away. So we used to always walk by there to go to the woods and stuff. So I always saw this place. So I did something with them where we adopted uh, two kids to come and train. and. All they had to do was come to class and have one of their people brought, drop them off and then pick them up at this time. And that was it. And it lasted for a little while. I think we had one girl stuck it out for about a year. Awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate that coming as a foster dad. I appreciate that. That is so cool that there's people like you out there that would be willing to give to these. But I'm going to tell you what, it's not easy because we had to jump through a lot of loops to make it happen because it got to the point where like, hey, I haven't seen this foster girl in two weeks. Where's she at? And they were like, oh, we got to get her a ride. This guy didn't want to take her. They're supposed to take her. That's your job. You work there. Take her Take her to this. This is what she wants to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. now outside the cage and outside training, is there, what does Ralph Garcia like to do? Me? What yeah. I like to do? Honestly, <laughs> I, I guess it's changed over the last couple of years. I'm a social butterfly. I still like to go out and mingle and meet new people and shoot the shit with friends and, and hang out and laugh and have a good time because people don't laugh enough and, and enjoy people people's company like like we used to. So I've had like a lot of my friends have been my friends for 15, 20 something years. So we still have close ties. We still make time to, to hang out and shoot the shit. Uh, but honestly, the last year or two, what I love doing is coming home, spending time with my dogs, my wife and my cat and my cats. And that's what I do. I'm sitting here on the couch right now. I'm in my office in my house. And my dog 
Piper, my pit bull, sitting on a couch over here watching me do this podcast next to the Christmas tree. I, I'll, I'll do this real quick. Watch. I don't know if you can see her. Yeah. Uh, that's, 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 a famous, that's a famous dog we see online all the time. Yeah, her. And then <laughs> Sam went upstairs with my wife already uh, to get ready for bed. Sam's the, the half King Corso American bulldog. He's 100 pounds. But yeah. uh, Piper, I hurt my leg two years ago, my patella tendon. I tore it, which was my first serious injury and, sur and first surgery. And the rehab on that was, oh, my God, it was bad. I don't wish that on anybody. It was I was depressed for the first couple months. And it took a long time to get back to where I'm at today, where I'm throwing all my jump kicks and, and grappling, wrestling, doing everything I'm doing like I used to. But Piper stayed downstairs with me because I couldn't go up the stairs. So we set up a twin bed downstairs. And every time I go to bed, and I turned the TV off. She would come over, nudge me, and I had to scoot over, open my blanket up. She would jump in the bed with me, and she stayed with, downstairs with me for four months. She was my nurse. Wow. <laughs> awesome, awesome, man. Um, yeah, that's so, why I don't I understand why pet bulls get a bad rap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what advice would you have for athletes coming into your into your gym at, that want to be an MMA fighter? Or enjoy the journey, man. Uh, take your time. Everybody wants to come in and they think in six months they're the next big UFC star. It doesn't work like that. It takes years of sacrifice, determination. And right when you think you're going to quit or you're, you're done, that's when that door could open up. It's just one of those things. You just have to be patient. The main thing is don't just come in as a fighter. Come in as a martial artist. Learn the martial arts. Fight. But don't just a lot of these guys. They'll fight, then they'll do a training camp six weeks, eight weeks. Then I won't see them again for months after their fight. I got another fight lined up. And then they want to come and train now. I'm like, you're not getting better like that. You have to train. You get better when you're not fighting. So now when I fight again, people saw a video on me. I'm not the same fighter. So my bad habits that you thought I had, I don't have those anymore. And that's what I wish more of these guys would do. They just come in. They want to have that popularity and want to be famous. That's that's what I don't I don't like. Yeah. I think before I close the show, I have to ask one question. Um, it's so out of being all those accolades that we said that in the beginning, you know, the third degree black belt, the seven degree, six degree, second, all the way down to that list. What is your most proud? What's the most, I guess, that you're most proud of? And what's the hardest one to, to achieve? Wow. Well, if you look at it like this, Taekwondo, I started as a kid in Kempo Karate. I thought, okay, I can get a black belt. I was cool with that. Boom. Then got a first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth degree. And I was good with that. I never thought it'd be a seventh degree. So it's just like, you never know. You just got to keep on going. And I don't really look at that. Like, oh, I need that. If it happens, it happens. With jiu-jitsu. When I started jiu-jitsu, it took me 11 years to get my black belt in jiu-jitsu. That's training five days a week on the mat. Um, with jiu-jitsu, it was uh, purple belt. I said, if I get purple belt, because back then, a purple belt could beat up most black belts and other martial arts styles because that's how legit it was like a unicorn. You saw a purple, oh, that guy's a purple belt. Now they're all over the place because it's it's because of popularity, uh, social media and everything else. But back when we were like, oh, I want to be a purple belt. So when I got my black belt, oh man, that's awesome. 11 years. Then I got my first degree three years later, three years later, second degree, three years later, my third degree. It's almost like you're running a marathon. I'm just going, going, going. So um, I think I enjoyed every part of my journey. Um, there's things I probably would change. But then again, I don't know if I'd be on the same path if I did change them. But 
I don't know, both my seventh degree and my third degree in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, seventh degree in Taekwondo, those are pretty cool. I sit back sometimes and I think about, man, I never thought I'd be this level, you know, or, or make it to this, you know. And then, honestly, I get more pride now and more, like, I'll get, I get happy when I see someone come up with me and reach their black belt, whether it be in Taekwondo or in Jiu-Jitsu. To me, it's like, wow. They just stuck with me from white belt all the way to here. That's years. And you build a bond with somebody when they're with you. Like my karate instructor, my taekwondo instructor, Fred Montesino, Grandmaster Fred Montesino, we're st we still talk every couple of weeks. We're going to probably go get a beer this weekend. But I've been with him since I was a kid. <laughs> so he's driving me to tournaments. When I was a kid, my dad didn't want to drive all the way to Martin Luther King because we lived all the way here. It was The traffic sucked for a 6 o'clock class. So he, he told me, I'll take you twice a week. I go twice a week. I didn't feel like I was getting better. I sucked. So I told my dad, listen, if you're not going to take me more, I, I don't want to do this anymore because I know I could be better. I just need to go more days. Well, if you find a ride home, I'll take you every day. So my instructor, other parents, I found a ride home. I was there six days a week. My dad would drop me off and I, I, I would get a ride home. So if in your camp, in your training camp, in your school, is there close the show is there any fighter this might not be a fair question is there anybody in that camp that you that people should look out for like he's the next up and coming person that um out of your school i mean so who's your favorite uh i don't i don't have favorites I mean, it's just, there's just so many so yeah. many guys i'm not gonna go out there and say any names but yeah. uh there's a lot of guys and girls coming up right now uh that they're gonna make a name for themselves the next year or two so awesome. it's just one of those things you just they got to put the work in that's all it is put the time in put the work and next thing you know you're going to be hearing things the problem is when you get someone like that and they're working hard when you reach a certain level and you get a little bit of success you get the wrong people to gravitate around you yeah and they're hey i can manage you oh hey why are you there come over here and train it's always the same shit. and then i've seen so many fighters all you gotta just follow this path we'll get you there but then they steer off that way. They listen to this guy. Road bumps. They get into relationships. They have kids. So many things could happen that it could slow your path down or even make it where you don't make it where you could have made it. Exactly. Nick, you have anything else? Yes, yes. We can't end the show without doing a favorite segment that I love. You have those kids questions, my man. Yes. Okay. Kids questions. Yes. I love this part, man. You're going to love this. All right. Shoot. It's a, it's Quick questions. Okay. So, favorite food? Favorite food? Yes. Italian. Okay. okay. Do, does, does pineapple belong at pizza? No. No. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> favorite cartoon? I don't watch cartoons that much anymore, but I used to come out of high school and watch Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. I remember that. Yes. All right. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yes. Favorite movie? Ooh, I have a few. The top of my head, Tombstone. Okay. Okay. Um, what's another? A oh, favorite? Um, what's music? Favorite music? I just like martial arts. I'm open to anything. So I, it depends on the day. I listen to classic rock some days. Other days I'll listen to Rob Zombie radio, Disturb radio. Other days it's old school hip hop like Biggie Smalls, Tupac, Run DMC. Uh, other days it's freestyle music like Stevie B, Johnny O. Uh, Lisa, Lisa, Nicole Jam. Uh, other days, it could be some country music. Uh, it just depends on the mood I'm in, man. 
you uh, you acknowledge the tribal chief? There's only one. This is not a uh, kids question, but it's a question I didn't ask. But you said you watched some WCW, and this is a trick question, so don't don't think too much about this. Who is the greatest WCW champion ever? Sting. David Arquette. No. Oh, no, you did it. Scott. Get out of here. <laughs> and that's my kids' questions of the day. <laughs> I love it. So, no, man, thanks, um, Ralph you Garcia, for joining the show. Nick, thank you for uh, being part of the podcast on Wednesday Always. night. I love Wednesday night knockouts. It's um. Great. It's it's a journey that we started what three weeks hey, about a month you ago. Can right? Make it down here next time. Uh Nick will probably know before me. My buddy Brian Blair does that Legends lunch. You oh, yeah. have to come down here for that. Usually about one o'clock over here at O'Brien's in Tampa. And I like last time I went there, I met Glacier. I met Ming. Uh the Bushwhackers, I think, were there. One of them is still alive. Yeah, uh, um Brian, both of them are still alive. We just I actually just worked with them last weekend. Yeah, Sags and Knobs. No, 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 <laughs> How do you know us, kid? We're from we only wrestle in Florida. I go, I watch you guys on TV on Saturday. They started throwing us in the pool. And then I ran into him a couple of years ago and I told him that story. He remembered. He goes, We were living with Dean Malenko in his apartment there. That's why we were living there. I go, wow. Yeah, I just worked with them on this past week in Knobs and uh Sags. They're good people. But Luke is the other bushwhacker. Um Luke. Yeah. So, yeah, I would yeah. I would love to do that, man. I really would. Um, but I will say, and that's not Nothing nobody can fix. Um, I like I said, I work in the foster care business, and um, I mean, if you plan it ahead of time, it's usually for every four months or something. Okay, because like my yeah. wife and I get twenty. My wife and I doing what we do. We get twenty four days off a year. That's not a lot. And um, maybe if you're lucky, Nick can set this up for you. I've already met him once, but we have here because you know, you know, we're Champa Bay when we went all the, the uh, football, hockey, and and uh, baseball yeah. the World Series. Yeah. Champa Bay. So Rick Flair lives here now. He lives in Channel Side. Nice, nice. Well, nice. I can't. Well, I'll put it this way: we got some surprises coming on my end, but the whole thing. I could probably set it up with work. But yeah. I, um, I do. I do um, plan. A, my wife and I are coming down February nineteenth through the twenty sixth of February, and we're gonna be in Orlando. And I've talked to Nick. I, I I'm not gonna be able to go travel all over, but um, I'd love to work something out for one day that I can. I'm going to Disney for two days. I'm not. A, I mean, I well, love Disney, but my wife. It's a bigger Disney fan than I am, but Ocala, I think Ocala, Ocala thing is only an hour or so from Orlando. Yeah. Show February 24th. Oh. Yeah. So you should come out. February 24th, huh? Yeah. We have we haven't released a flyer yet, have we? No. Well, I'm waiting for uh for, for the guy to give me the okay on it. So now got you got me you got me intrigued there, Nick. You said something about big surprises. You're gonna let me know soon or what? Well, we can't do it live on camera, but uh, in the green room, we'll talk. Right. I got something oh, yeah. about. I'm going to close the show, okay? And um, thanks again, man. I appreciate your time. I pre a lot of knowledge. I am learning so much about body awareness and MMA and stuff. I didn't. This is a journey that I. It's new to me. So if I seem like I have crazy questions, it's I've always been wrestling for like two years, and now Nick is like challenging me. When I met him, uh, 
through Facebook. And I'm like, I'm challenged now because I'm now we're going to talk boxing, we're talking MMA, we're going to talk modeling, and I'm like, oh my god, because so it's been pretty cool. I so I yeah. thank you again, man. I I'm a pain in Nick's ass, I'm sure. But it's all good. Nick's is, Nick is um yeah, Nick has helped me out. I appreciate. It. I will I will probably bug you on um, on Facebook, man. Yeah, everybody, if you're, if you're listening, follow us on World Class Fight League, uh, Facebook or Instagram, uh, Florida Mixed Martial Arts on, on, on Facebook. And uh, my gym is World Class Martial Arts, uh, Facebook or American Top Team Tampa, Facebook or Instagram. Okay, man. Yeah, stay online. Do not go nowhere. I'm going to play a closed song and I'll be right there. All right, cool. All my dogs, make some noise up in this house. in the house, who is in the house, it's the gangster of destruction, so you know what's going down, and when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground, cause when your body hits the canvas, then you had to knock out, who is in the house, who is in the house, it's the gangster of destruction, so you know what's going down, and when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground, cause when your body hits the canvas, then you had to knock out, like with Adrian Whisper, it's like a fight with the devil, because when he didn't with you, you cannot get on this level, like when Adrian Whisper's like it's like a fight with a king, it's like a fight with an army, they got the tanks and everything He's leaving bruises and stitches, possibly leaving you crippled Cause when he sets up the table and sends you straight through the middle Take the district free, beat that ass with a light bulb Leave a piece of glass embedded in the back of your skull who is in the house? Who is in the house? It's the gangster of destruction, so you know it's going down. And when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground. Cause when your body hits the canvas, then your ass is knocked out. Who is in the house? Who is in the house? It's the gangster of destruction, so you know it's going down. And when the drive-by's coming, then you better 